Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this is another football-focused edition of the Take 10 Podcast as we move pretty much into the second half of the college football season here. It's hard to believe it's moving that quickly, but it is. And we've got another great guest lined up for you today. Another national writer to give a national perspective on not only the Big Ten, but all of college football. So this week we got uh, one of the best in the biz. It's Bruce Feldman of The Athletic and of Fox. Bruce, uh, if you followed college football at all over the last couple of decades, I'm sure you've heard his name. He's been all over the place and he's been doing a great job these last couple of years in his roles at Fox and The Athletic. And he's now a recurring guest on the Take 10 podcast he was on last year. And he has uh, very generous with his time once again this week as we brought him on for his valuable insight into all things Big Ten and around the country. So we've got Bruce coming up in just a moment here. And we also have Harold Shelton for our weekly statistics segment, which we do every week to get behind the numbers in Big Ten football. So we'll go as normal, our national guest Bruce, and then our 15 to 20 minute discussion with Harold after that. So it's a busy time right now in Big Ten and college sports. We got college football in full swing and then we got big 10 basketball media day coming up thursday so the day of this episode's release we also have basketball media day going on and we'll have uh, hopefully some interviews from that event as well that will be coming out either late this week or early next week so stay locked to the take 10 podcast for everything big 10 both football and basketball as we uh you know turn up another notch here and keep it moving all right before we get to bruce feldman just a quick reminder that you can find the Take 10 Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and you can subscribe to Big Ten Network on YouTube, and there is a Take 10 Podcast playlist there as well. So you can find the Take 10 Podcast and subscribe on a handful of outlets if you are listening on somewhere like SoundCloud and you want to get subscribed right now. And also, go ahead and uh, leave a review, a rating, if you enjoy the show. I always enjoy that positive feedback. And we'd love to hear it if you have a nice thing to say. All right, so without further ado, let's get to our interview with Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, Fox, very respected college football writer, and he is now a recurring guest, like I said, here on this podcast, and we'll get to that interview with Bruce, where we talk plenty of Ohio State, where he's on the sideline for Indiana, Ohio State, uh, plenty of Big Ten, Michigan State, Penn State, and the big game this weekend coming up between Michigan and Wisconsin talk all that plus some additional topics and some national topics as well to that interview right now very pleased to be joined by a national college football reporter for both fox and the athletic he's also now a recurring guest here on the take 10 podcast it is bruce feldman you can follow him on twitter at bruce feldman cfb bruce thanks for joining me how's it going it's going good appreciate the chance to be on with you absolutely and uh i usually start each one of these episodes by asking my guests kind of their initial impressions of the past weekend in college football and since you were on the sidelines for Indiana at Ohio State this past Saturday in Columbus we can just start there what were some uh, overarching takeaways you had from that game over at Ohio State you know I was really impressed by Dwayne Haskins and Ohio State's uh, pass game his arm is is as advertised to see him throw in person uh, he makes some wow throws I mean quite honestly that stuff that as terrific as JT Barrett was he didn't do those kinds of things uh, so there's that. Uh, obviously, they're still missing Nick Bosa, but I think you know they're, Chase Young and that defensive line is so deep and so talented. But I give a lot of credit to Indiana. Uh, their st- 
staff, but also their players of how they hung in there. And they just kept battling and were really resilient. I think they take on the reflect, they really reflect Tom Allen's personality. And, and they came into the game four and one. I'm not sure how many people were like that impressed by the four and one. They struggled a little bit with the awful Rutgers team the week before. I was impressed by what they saw. And Peyton Ramsey, I thought, did a really nice job in a tough place to play against an athletic defense. He's a young quarterback, and I thought that um, there's some reasons for optimism there if I'm a Hoosier fan. Yeah, and we'll get deeper into the Buckeyes in just a second, but since you brought up the Hoosiers, what do you think their overall trajectory is under Tom Allen, having said that you know you were impressed by him and how hard they played? Well, you know, they are in the toughest division, arguably, in college football. It is really top-heavy. It's hard to get much traction there. But uh, they have some good young players. I think the keys are going to be they got to – become more athletic they got to get more length i mean when you look at their offensive line it looks like they got a bunch of guards you know maybe not a lot of tackles and i think you see that they're a little limited athletically relative to some of the top level teams they are competing against in the big 10 but having said all that you know there's there's a lot of good young players in the program and again i just think that he's a good defensive coach and he is a tough guy and um you know, they were resilient. I think they're going to be in a lot of games that way. And so, um, you know, how can they become a top 15 program? At, you know, if they recruit a lot better, that's a tall order. But I think they can be a bowl team because because they are, they are very efficient. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And even when Ohio State was missing tackles, I thought, you know, give credit to Indiana for, um, for just kept battling. And they found a way to get some pressure and, and do some things that I thought were uh, – you know, hit some big plays against a team that, quite honestly, has given up probably a lot more big plays than I think a lot of people would have expected Ohio State to at this point. Yeah, Bruce, I haven't kept track of everywhere you've been this year for Fox on the sidelines, but is Ohio State the best team you've seen in person this year? And how do they compare maybe to some other teams in that tier they're in at the top of college football? Yeah, you know, we had Washington the week before, and they just absolutely thumped uh, the BYU team that had beaten uh, Wisconsin. And that was an impressive night for, for Washington. You know, it's probably as good as they played. Their defense is really good. But, again, you're, you know, the following week, they struggled against UCLA, who's been horrible this season. So, you know, you kind of try to keep everything, not with a grain of salt, but in some measure of context. You know, we've had Texas a couple of times. We've had TCU. We've had Stanford. We haven't had, um, you know, we haven't had a lot of, top 10 teams i think the two best teams or most impressive teams i've seen have been ohio state and washington and i think ohio state has a deeper collection of big time wow athletes than what washington has but um again you know you see some good with ohio state and i think you see some things where you're like okay they got to tighten this up and they got to tighten that up and um and you know i suspect they will but it's just uh you know you've seen them give up a bunch of really big plays where i think you know, if their safeties are were tackling better, some of those 15 and 20 yard plays that you know would would stay as that and not become you know 90 yard plays or 60 yard plays. And I so I think there's been some miscommunication and some some busted assignments and, and bad tackling. And I think that's you know that's that's been some issues. But they're still undefeated, and I, you know I I don't see anybody slowing them down on the way to the Big Ten title. Yeah, and you mentioned some of those concerns for the Buckeyes. How do they, how does this iteration of Ohio State compare to some other teams under Urban Meyer 
there in Columbus, including, you know, the 2014 national champions and those teams like last year that fell short of the college football playoff and the one that got bounced by Clemson a couple years ago. You know, I don't know if their offensive line is quite as good as that one that won the national title, but that group got a lot better by the end of the year. I think Dwayne Haskins is everything you're looking for in terms of a big-time, you know, pro-prospect quarterback. He's accurate. He's able. He showed us, you know, Ryan Day told me this from my column on The Athletic this week. Just talked about how good of a job he did at checking protections when he knew blitzes were coming, and that's, that's really impressive for a young, inexperienced quarterback. So I, I like him. I think the receiving core is really underrated. They've got a lot of mature guys. They have athleticism, but they have a lot of mature guys who are really good at little detail things. They block well. Uh, I think they they are they have a great feel for how to play in space, different things that sometimes younger receivers don't quite have that. I think you're seeing some other guys step up. Ben Victor, we obviously saw step up in a big way uh, at Penn State. And I think we're seeing some other guys kind of respond to the to – the, quality of you know maturity that is in that wide receiver room the defense they'll get a lot better when if and when nick bosa gets back in november i mean because he's just such a special player but we're going to see some some younger linebackers whether it's tough borland or pete uh pete warner or certainly a guy uh baron Browning, who's as talented as as anybody in the big 10 from a linebacking standpoint i think when we see guys like that get settled that, that'll bode well. But again, this, they've been so good in the secondary, and because they're so aggressive, uh, sometimes you, sometimes that leads to some big plays, and I think that has been a challenge for them so far. Yeah, you mentioned the column you wrote on Dwayne Haskins, and I encourage everyone to go check that out in The Athletic and subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. And you wrote in that article that no quarterback has proven more than Dwayne Haskins so far in the first half of the season. So what are some things that he has done that has set him apart from – some of the other Heisman contenders and some of the other elite quarterbacks in the country when it comes to how Haskins has proven himself, like you said. Well, he's at a high bar. I mean, Tua and Alabama have not played anybody very good right now. I mean, not even close to it. Whereas uh, playing TCU in in Jerry Jones Stadium they're up there, that's a fast defense. Gary Patterson's a really good defensive coach, and he handled that well. There's there's about as tough as environment as you're going to get is what he had two weeks ago in the whiteout at Saturday night against Penn State and they came after him and I thought he settled down and played really well so you know his competition level has been higher than some of these other guys Will Greer from West Virginia hasn't seen anything like that Kyler Murray saw Texas this past week I don't think Texas is is quite as good you know Texas and Dallas I don't think is as challenging as as the two places that uh, that that Haskins has has shined and and in addition to all the other numbers he's putting up I mean 25 touchdowns four picks completing 72 percent uh he has been he has been really really good now I wouldn't go as so far as to say right now it's his Heisman trophy to lose but I think he is right there with Tua Tua's putting up ridiculous numbers but we're going to see Tua's going to get a little better of a test in a couple weeks when they have to go to LSU to to face a good defense in a tough environment and that'll, you know, we'll see if his we'll see if his numbers and he doesn't have to play in the fourth quarter because they're blowing everybody out. I mean, at some point they are going to get better tests. I mean, Auburn will be a little more of a test. I think, you know, if they in fact play Georgia in the SEC title game, that'll be certainly more of a test. Whereas right now, we I think we know a little bit more about Dwayne Haskins, quite honestly. Yeah, this question might be easier to answer in a couple of weeks, like you said. But how scary is Alabama with an offense? 
led by a guy like Tua. Uh, I know their defense hasn't been quite as stout this year, at least uh, rushing-wise, but how scary is the prospect of a Crimson Tide with an offense that is explosive? Yeah, they've they've looked great. Uh, You know, he has been really spectacular. The receivers are really dynamic. The run game is good. We'll see how good their offensive line is. I mean, the questions, I think, are going to be they have had all kinds of challenges. I don't say problems, but they're 10th in the SEC in yards per play allowed in rushing. In the last nine years, they've led the SEC every year. And that hasn't been an issue so far because – they're blowing people out offensively, but they just lost their best cornerback on top of that this week. When they do get tested a little more, we'll see if it's it's everything's been easy so far. Um, it's as we know, it's it's there are upsets in college football, and sometimes you don't have your A game, and who knows? I don't I don't know if anyone is close to close to them in the SEC to to really threaten them in the regular season. But I would pump the brakes on anybody saying this is Nick Saban's best team. We just don't know at this point. It might be his best offense, but that's not saying his best team when he's had some great defenses. All right, a couple, couple more questions before we look ahead to Week 7, Bruce. Uh, first, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the most surprising team in the Big Ten. That could be either good or bad, but what has surprised you most out of this conference this year? You know, I think it's been, on the positive side, I would say Maryland. We had them week one against Texas. Really emotional situation with the passing of Jordan McNair. Uh, they have some players. It's not like DJ Durkin didn't recruit well, especially on offense. I think, you know, they did stub their toe a couple of weeks ago against Temple. But other than that, I think they have been on the field, given all that's swirling around that program, for those players to stay focused. I think that has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, disappointment, Michigan State. You know, they struggle with Utah State, won that, lost on the road to a pretty average Arizona State team that lost the other day. They have been really good, obviously, defending the run, but everything else has been a disappointment. And I think it's surprising because they were so young last year. We had that team three times, and I thought they were really built to make a run at a, you know, to be a top five kind of team this year. And it just has not happened for a variety of reasons. And We'll see if they can get that sorted out. Obviously, they have a big stretch coming up in the next couple of weeks. All right, so I prompted the uh, Twitterverse for some questions for you. So I pulled one from a uh, person on Twitter to ask you, and it's from at Jimenez0523, and he wants you to predict the two teams in the conference title game. And since I have a feeling who you might be predicting, uh, I kind of want to also parlay that question to discussion on teams like Michigan and Iowa, and if you think either of those teams are capable of making a run since they're both behind Ohio State in the East and Wisconsin in the West right now. Yeah, right now I think that Ohio State-Wisconsin matchup, but uh, Iowa's really good on the defensive line. I, I like what I've seen considering they lost, some, you know, not just Josie Jewell, but some really good line, you know, players in the back seven. Um, I, Nate Stanley, I think, is really talented. We saw them a couple times last year at our games, um, you know, I, I want to, I wouldn't r- rule them out. I, I think they have a puncher's chance because I think they do have some weapons to work with on offense. As far as Michigan, I was a little skeptical after how they struggled with, uh, with Notre Dame on the road. I think Shea Patterson, if he can continue to, to kind of gel with the young receivers, he's got the new receiving core. 
You know, Karan Higdon's been been a good weapon for them. I think they're really good on defense. I don't know if he can be consistent enough. Um, and at this point, like, I'm not going to predict them to, to upset Ohio State until they've actually done it. But I think they're a good team. I think they're really a you know top ten kind of team. It's just that might not be good enough to, to beat their arch rival. Well, I think it's going to be good enough to beat their other arch their other rival. But short of that, I don't know if they can. I don't know if they can handle it. Yeah, in, in, against Ohio State. Yeah, since we're talking Michigan, let's get right into the big matchup this weekend. That's number fifteen Wisconsin's visit to the Big House and number twelve Michigan. Uh, big time game, obviously. College game day will be there. Can you just put the significance of this game for both programs in perspective since neither can really afford a loss if they want to remain in that national picture? Yeah, I, I think for for Jim Harbaugh, any of these kind of marquee games are just are huge because and not, I don't subscribe to any part that he's on the hot seat. I just don't believe that. But I think they need some good things to happen for people to feel like, okay, this has been underwhelmed. We've heard a lot about, you know, a lot of talk and there's been a lot of attention um, about Michigan football and it has not it has kind of been not been able to break through quite honestly and I think you you win these games especially in the next couple of weeks and then people will get back on the bandwagon I think right now there's people who are not I, I, I just not sure that they're they think they're good they don't think they're great or even close to that yet and you got to start winning these matchups to do that. That's why I think it's it's critical. Um, I think Wisconsin, even if you know if they don't win this game, I still think they can win their division, and then they have a chance. You know, this would, you know, even if you, even if they lose this game and then you know still get to the to the t- conference title game and then beat Ohio State or Michigan, I don't know if two losses would be especially the BYU team they lost to. I mean they just got drilled by either Utah State back to back blowout losses. So I don't know how much stock people are gonna put in that in a loss like that. Um, you know, I think you have basically no mulligans left. But I just think from a program standpoint it is it is really a bit, I think it's even bigger for Michigan than it is for Wisconsin at this point. So where does each team have the edge in that game? Obviously Jonathan Taylor got going a little bit last week. Michigan has some great running backs to counter with as well, plus Shea Patterson and kind of an expanded passing attack. So where does each team uh, have an advantage heading to the big house? You know, I think I give Wisconsin the edge in the ground game just because I think that's more tied right now in their DNA. I think they're better on the offensive line than Michigan is. I think they're considerably better. The, the challenge here, I think, is both quarterbacks, I think, are pretty inconsistent. I you know, I think they can be really good at times and then can kind of disappear a little bit. Um, I feel like even though Shea played in the SEC, you know, at least a big chunk of last year, I feel like Alex Wunderbrook has more big game experience. And that is, you know, that is a good chip to have in your pocket, especially when you have the better offensive line. I think Michigan has the better defense. Uh, and I think that some of the stuff Don Brown can do, I think – you know, bodes well. It's just you're going up against a really experienced quarterback with a terrific offensive line. I mean, this is a really fascinating matchup. Yeah, and you mentioned Hornibrook and his experience. He's really put up some numbers in the fourth quarter this year, and he led that drive against Iowa. He's looked a lot better, and I think answered some questions about his late game performance. We'll see if he can keep it up. Do you have a uh, prediction for that game, Bruce? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but you, you are have one. putting me on the spot. <laughs> I mean, for some reason, I like I. 
everything in my head is telling me to pick Wisconsin. Um, but I'm tempted to pick Michigan. I really, you know, I haven't just, I usually pick my games at the end of the day, Wednesday when I turn on my picks, but I'm, my hunch is, is Michigan at this point. All right, we'll mark it down for you. And uh, I want to turn our attention now to matchup in the East. Uh, pretty intriguing, and it's a game that turned out unexpectedly last year. It's Michigan State going up against uh, Penn State and Happy Valley. And I think Michigan State fans uh, would agree with you that they've been disappointing so far. Last year they were able to knock off the Nittany Lions in that monsoon in East Lansing. So do you see the Spartans rising up and maybe coming close again this weekend? I don't. Uh, we actually did that seven-hour game where Brian Lewerke, Arizona kid, played really well in the sloppy cold weather. Uh, I, I That's a tough place for them to play this weekend. I think Penn State is going to get them. I just don't like how I've, how Michigan State has looked the past this season. Quite honestly, I think Penn State is gonna is gonna win that one going away. Yeah, your thoughts on Penn State this year? Because again, it's a case where they've come up one point short against Ohio State, and then you get the comments from James Franklin how they're great, but not an elite program quite yet. What are your overall impressions just of how that program's running uh, and what level they're at? Uh, you know, I think Trace McSorley should still be in the Heisman race. I mean, he's a fantastic player. They have some good weapons around him. Obviously, they lost Saquon, but I think they still have some dynamic playmakers. I love what I've seen from K.J. Hamler. Uh, the issue for for me with them is where when James Brown was talking about elite, I think they have enough good, you know, great big people slash difference makers. And if it's a seven-on-seven game with Trace McSorley and some of the weapons they have around them, they're dangerous, and I think they those guys play with an edge, and I think they, they're they a really confident team, and they kind of take on Trace and James Franklin's personality. All those are good things. I think the difference between them and, like, you know, an Ohio State, and obviously they've had two really close games the last two years, is just Ohio State has, has more depth of, of kind of big, impressive athletes. And right now, Penn State's getting closer to that. They've narrowed the gap, but... Uh, you know, I think it's it's a that's a process that t- that takes a while, and we'll see how they how much you know they're going to keep building on. It. I think they're a, I think they are a top top ten team because Trace is so good, and they do have some really good players around him. Uh, I don't know if, but I think they're probably just a notch below what a playoff team is, just because I don't think they have enough big difference makers on defense. And uh, I still think their offensive line needs a little more work to, to kind of get to where it needs to be. And Northwestern knocked off that Michigan State squad last weekend. But uh, we're talking about, again, a couple of teams that have underwhelmed this year so far, if you look at the big picture, and that's Nebraska and Northwestern. Do you think this is the week that Nebraska maybe gets number one, win number one under Scott Frost? Or uh, is Northwestern going to keep up some of this positive momentum after a, a sloppy start of the season? Yeah, I think Northwestern keeps some momentum going. I do like what I've seen from Adrian Martinez. I think he is going to be really good for them. But their defense, they have a hard time getting off the field. I just think right now they just don't have enough players right now to to, to, to win on the road. It's not a great Northwestern team, obviously, but I think I think they've been pretty competitive against against some good teams, whereas I think Northwestern, it's been hard for them to put together three good quarters, much less four. All right, and you brought up Indiana earlier and how impressed you were with them. They play an Iowa team in Bloomington, which is kind of a sneaky, intriguing matchup, especially for a program like Indiana that kind of needs a Turner cornering, uh, corner turning win. How far apart are these programs and, and, and teams, do you think, at this point? Do you think Indiana has a chance or does Iowa handle business? 
You know, I'm wondering, how is Indiana going to handle last week? They went toe-to-toe with Ohio State for a solid three quarters on the road. Not easy. Now, granted, Ohio State was coming off at some own emotional, you know, crazy week against Penn State on the road. Uh, how well will Tom Allen and that staff be able to get Indiana back up? It's a home game. This is a big game. They can win this game. We'll, you know, we'll find out a lot more about just where they are maturity-wise against this, against this Hawkeyes team. I think Iowa is going to win it just because I think there's going to be a, it's going to be hard to deal with without that little bit of letdown from last week. Uh, but maybe IU will surprise me. They surprised me last week. I was impressed. I just think this is a tall order. You're going to play a really physical team, really well-coached team with a really good defensive line. He's going to come after you. Even though it's a home game for them, it's still just, I, I think there's going to be a hangover effect that they're going to be dealing with. Yeah, and probably the best pair of tight ends in the country and TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fan Iowa. Really a tough matchup for anybody. All right, Bruce, uh, looking nationally before I let you go, First of all, where are you going to be uh, sideline-wise this weekend, and what else would you be watching outside the Big Ten uh, across the country? We got uh, we have a late-night game on FS1 in the Pac-12. It's pretty much for the – I don't want to say it's going to decide the Pac-12 South race, but undefeated Colorado is going to come into USC, and it's a must-win for, for Clay Helton's side of it. Uh, the pressure is starting to mount there. I don't think he can afford a loss. Not saying they were going to they would turn on and fire him the next day, but I just think there's a lot of frustration there about how USC has looked. Even when they won against Arizona, they they barely won. They were a mess. Had 18 penalties the last time out. Uh, they need some good things to happen, and you're going to see Stephen Montez, who's an NFL prospect, who's who's really kept developing at CU, and Lavisca Chenault has been the breakout player on the West Coast, one of the leading receivers in the country. A really big, fast kid from Texas who they find tons of ways, creative ways to get him the ball. So fascinated to watch that. And then the biggest game I really am intrigued by is Georgia gets its biggest test so far this season. They got to go on the road to Baton Rouge. LSU is a little banged up, especially on the offensive line, but that's not an easy place to play. I think Georgia's just more talented and will be able to handle it. But, uh, again, Baton Rouge is a really tough place to play, and LSU does have a good defense. Yeah, and the playoff picture could be shaken up a little more after that one. And it's nice you get to stay home, right, staying at USC for that one? Yeah. Uh, a home game is the first – in four years of doing sideline, this is the first time I've had a home game. So I am very excited about that. Oh, wow, there you go. All right, Bruce, uh, to wrap it up, I always uh, ask my guests, and I put them on the spot a little bit once again, to come up with a what's called the B1G moment or the big moment of – Either the past week or the college football season, and it's something that is significant maybe outside of uh, the lines on the football field, something that either heartwarming or noteworthy for whatever reason. And I had a, a couple this week, so I'll lead off with uh, George Talaferro, who was a All-American in Indiana, the first black player to be drafted in the NFL, was a pro bowler in the NFL, passed away this week. Um, so obviously condolences to his family in the Hoosier community. And then uh, in the Big Ten as well, we had Drew Brees, obviously the former Purdue Boilermaker, breaking Peyton Manning's all-time passing record. So those are a couple standout moments that I wanted to, to give a shout-out to. I don't know if you had anything, but if you do, I would love to hear it before we wrap up here. Yeah, I actually was going to uh, – Greg Doyle, who I used to work with at CBS, he's a really good columnist for the Indianapolis Star. Sure. He had done an old column on George 
uh, and just through social media, you know, you just kind of see stuff. And it's um, a week earlier, uh, Julius Whittier, who was the first uh, African-American letterman who played football at Texas, had passed away. And just to find out about his legacy and how he inspired so many people was a really awesome thing. Talked to a lot of people about him. And then, you know, a week later, you have another giant in, in football history pass. And I just think it's so important. I'm glad, you know, you brought that up because I think just, you know, these people are before our time. You know, a lot of times, you know, you don't remember them as players. But uh, I think it's important to know the history of, of not just the game and sports, but just really the fabric of the country and what because sports do matter in that room. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up George and his legacy. It is a really awesome one because, you know, quite honestly, the Big Ten has a great history relative to the rest of college football in issues of race and, and was at the forefront in a lot of places where others, other uh, other parts of the country were, were lagging behind. And I think that, um, you know, it's, 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 it's important to acknowledge those, those milestones and those, those giant figures. Yeah, well said. Well, Bruce, appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, great stuff as always. And we'll look for you on the sidelines throughout the rest of the college football season here. Once again, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks once again to Bruce for joining me. Definitely a uh, class act, gold standard, and one of the best people we've interviewed here on the Take 10 podcast so far. Always great having him on. We'll toss it over now to our BTN Stathead segment with Harold Shelton. He's our BTN researcher who bring in every week for an in-depth look at Big Ten football and then basketball season. We'll do that as well. In-depth look behind the numbers and just some in-depth analysis of uh, what we saw in the previous weekend and what is to come. So, like we talked about with Bruce, plenty to evaluate from this past weekend and what's coming up. And we'll dive deep into all of it right now with Harold Shelton. All right, back after week six with BTN researcher Harold Shelton for our regular stat headache segment. H and I went to last weekend, you know, and all that, all that enthused about the games, but there were some big performances and uh, definitely a decent amount to talk about and, and a lot to talk about heading into next weekend. So how you doing? I'm good, man. You know, uh, October starts and now uh, we start seeing carnage around the Big Ten and around the country. A lot of uh, unranked teams, you know, beating ranked teams, and I feel like we might get some more of that. Yeah, and one trend I saw this weekend that kind of really stood out to me were – Big-time quarterback performances. A lot of quarterbacks throwing over 300 yards. We had Thorson, Lorgi, Martinez, Haskins, Ramsey, Stanley, all over 300 yards, with Haskins going well over 400 into the 450s. So just watching football in general these days, especially with the NFL, um, and you kind of see this mirrored and reflected in college. Is this just a trend? Is this how football is now? With we're going to see big passing totals, or is this unique to the Big Ten just with their running back situations at this point in the year? I feel like it's just become a more open game. You know, I think in the past, you know, Big Ten especially, it was, you know, three yards cloud of dust, you know, run, run, run to set up a play-action pass. But I'd say most of the teams in this league now are spread teams, and most teams would like to throw to set up the run uh, instead of the other way around. So, I mean, that's not to say that teams don't have the good personnel to to run the ball, whether it's good backs or good receivers, a combo of both. But I would say the quarterbacks in this league are probably better than the running backs, and so teams are just playing to their strengths. Yeah, and you know, you kind of used to be the running joke of the Big Twelve that they just rack up huge passing totals, and you'd see a ton of 
high-scoring games. And we're kind of seeing the Big Big Ten now a little more. Like, for an example jumped out at me this last weekend was Iowa-Minnesota. That was a game that if you would ask asked me on paper, I would have thought be low-scoring, you know, two strong defenses. But both teams racked it up. Iowa won 48-31. And you look at a passing attack like Iowa has, you know, after losing a guy like Akron Wadley, now they got guys like TJ Hawkinson and uh, Noah Fant at tight ends. I mean, that's got to be probably the best tight end duo in the country. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, people have said Noah Fant's probably a first-rounder. I mean, if you got TJ Hawkinson as your second-best guy at tight end, you're doing all right. Absolutely. And uh, looking across the league, um, outside of Iowa and Minnesota, another example of the high-passing totals, this is nothing new, is, is Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. We talk about him every week. Uh, set a personal record with six touchdowns. He's climbing the ranks of Ohio State's you know, passing leaders as far as touchdowns go, uh, games with, with over five touchdowns. He's, he's already almost in the lead there, trailing, I believe, only JT Barrett, right? I know you've been tweeting out that stat lately. What, what exactly is that, uh, that number and that, that uh, milestone that he's close to achieving there? Yeah, so just to kind of put his numbers in perspective from that Indiana game. So he tied a school record with 33 completions. He tied a school record with six touchdown passes, and he was three passing yards shy of Ohio State's single-game record uh, held by Arch Leister. And so now he's got 25 touchdown passes, and he's the first Big Ten player to have three games with at least five touchdown passes in a single season. He's only played six games. Right. Like, that's crazy, crazy, crazy video game-type numbers he's putting up. Right, and this isn't – you know, maybe not top of mind for Ohio State fans that have team goals, but you look at those numbers. You mentioned uh, the eye-popping touchdown totals. Do you think six games in with a softer schedule coming up? Do you think a, a number like fifty touchdowns might be in play this season for him? I don't know about fifty, but I'll say I'd be shocked if he didn't, didn't get to forty. I think the season record, uh, single season record for Ohio State is thirty-five, which Barrett has. Um, I think he'll probably shatter that. Uh, considering they still have uh, like Minnesota coming up, I know Michigan State's pass defense has been poor. Purdue's pass defense has been poor. Right. Still have to play Maryland, so I mean he's got opportunities to get some big numbers. Right, and fifty. I just thought out there is like you know the the ultimate outlandish number, but it still could be achievable. Like I said, they got a soft schedule coming up, and then if Ohio State plays in the Big Ten Championship, yeah, and then plays in game. two potentially two college football playoff games, right. then you, know, you never know. But that's just something that. I think if we get closer, we can start counting down to. But oh, for sure. like you said, 35, that should be easily achievable for Haskins, especially the way he's going. Uh, all right, H, now we're going to move to a more painful topic for you. But uh, cold, hard numbers do not lie. We talk Michigan State pretty much every week with you. We try and diagnose what's uh, going on with your Spartans. And I believe you said last week this is a game you're worried about going into a matchup with Northwestern. And it looks like you were worried for good reason because they fell to the resurgent Cats now, uh, winners of – or uh, not winners of two in a row, but – Last two games, they've looked much better, and they finally uh, got off the schneid with that win over Michigan State. They beat the Spartans 29-19 to this past weekend. So is this more about what Michigan State didn't do or about Northwestern kind of getting their groove back together here? I think it was a combo of both. Um, for whatever reason, Michigan State can't seem to figure out Northwestern. That's their third straight mm-hmm. loss to the Cats. Um, it's the first time a D'Antonio coach team has ever lost to the same opponent three straight times. So for whatever reason... Pat Fitzgerald certainly has his number. Uh, I think Clayton Thorson's been a big reason why. I think they've been able to out-scheme Michigan State uh, these last few years. He's thrown for over 1,000 yards in those three wins, uh, eight touchdowns. He's run for three more. So I think in that case, especially last week, 
you knew Northwestern couldn't really run the ball. You know, Michigan State's run defense is really, really good, obviously. And Northwestern, with Larkin retiring, just doesn't have a run game. And so Northwestern just said, you know what, we're just not going to run it. And we're just going to put it in our, you know, in our best player's hands, and he'll make the plays. He had a clean enough pocket most of the day. And when he did, he made some very, very accurate and precise throws. And there you go. Yeah, Thorson's looking really good. And especially, like you said, against Michigan State, it's crazy to see his numbers 3-0 against them. But this is so Northwestern, so typical yeah. Northwestern to, you know, really look not good at all. Have some ugly games early in the season. Total head scratcher, loss against Akron. Did not look good at all against Duke. And then now things are kind of coming together. Do you think it's going to play out like we've seen in recent seasons where, you know, they close the season really strong, maybe get to eight or nine wins, or are there still some concerns with the Cats how they perform early in September? Uh, I can see them being more of a spoiler than contender. Um, I don't know if they'll, you know, go on some crazy streak like they did last year. I think the schedule is really, really tough. They still get Wisconsin at home. They still have to play Notre Dame at home. They still have to play Iowa. So I still think they have a, a really tough schedule. But I could, I wouldn't be shocked if they rose up and knocked off one of those concerns. Circle that Notre Dame game. I feel like that's just that's typical setup for – a Northwestern team to frustrate Notre Dame. Right, and Notre Dame comes in there sleepwalking. College football playoffs. Yep. Spoiler, you know. All right, so we'll keep an eye on uh, on the Cats going forward as they seem to be getting together a little bit. I did want to ask you before we moved on to Week 7, I want to ask you about Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin has not lost since the BYU game. They, you know, are still in the driver's seat after beating Iowa for Big Ten Championship game berth. And the path is still... Theoretically, there for a uh, playoff, college football playoff contender uh, position. So, do you see them gaining steam at all with, with their performances lately, or has it just been a product of you know, rebounding from that Iowa win, but but maybe not doing it against the the best competition? I mean, Jonathan Taylor looked really good at three touchdowns, so that that running game looks solid. How do you diagnose what's going on with Wisconsin, and uh, do they have any concerns moving forward? Uh, offensively, I didn't really take a whole lot from last week. I mean, they just kind of run the ball against Nebraska all the time. Yep. I mean, they averaged 369 on the ground in the last six games Nebraska's they played in Nebraska. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say that, you know, they're they're rolling there. They just kind of do what they normally do when they play them. Uh, they do have the schedule on paper to make this interesting in terms of a college football playoff push. I just don't know if they're good enough to go through a gauntlet of – winning at Michigan, winning at Penn State, you know, winning at Purdue, who's, you know, looking much better. Uh, I think they have major issues in that back seven right now. Um, they are – Scott Nelson will miss the first half of the Michigan game due to targeting. Right. So he, I would say you got a backup safety plan next to Dakota Dixon there. You've got banged-up corners, backup corners, and you're playing against Shea Patterson, who's been throwing it really, really well. And I don't know if that's a recipe for success. Yeah, so let's turn that Wisconsin talk into the beginning of our discussion about next weekend's games and the, and the marquee matchup. is number 15, Wisconsin, at number 12, Michigan. Um, game day is going to be in Ann Arbor. So it's always a, a scene, always a big deal. And obviously it's a primetime game for the Big Ten that night. So what do you see out of that matchup? How do you see uh, Wisconsin faring? I know you mentioned Patterson as, as a threat and, and a big opportunity for him to step up on a big stage, a big opportunity for Michigan to kind of prove they belong and they're legit because that's kind of been the discussion is 
how much of this is smoke and mirrors after their game against uh, Notre Dame, after a loss against Notre Dame, and how much is, is this uh, Wolverine team for real. So let me know what you see out of that matchup and some of the advantages and disadvantages both ways. Yeah, so I guess on, on a macro level, I'm going to kind of hijack the question a little bit. On a, on a macro level, I would say this is a huge, huge game for Michigan. As we've talked about, you know, these are the type of games that Jim Harbaugh was brought in to win. Unfortunately, they are 5-8 and eight against ranked teams since he's been there. They've lost four straight, five of the last six against ranked teams. You know, they lost to Notre Dame earlier this year. If you lose here, you're probably out of the playoff race. You lose, you're behind Ohio State in the division race. So it's a, it's a game at home against a banged-up Wisconsin team. You need to win it. On the field, it seems like it's strength versus strength. You know, Jonathan Taylor, nation's leading rusher, going up against that ridiculous Michigan defense. Kind of wonder if Wisconsin can't get the run game going. Can Alex Hornibrook get it done against that defense? You you assume he'd be under a good amount of pressure. Don't know if the receivers that they have are, will be able to get open. Jake Ferguson could be a huge, huge, huge target in this game. Michigan's had issues covering in space. So I would look to see if Hornerbrook can find Ferguson early and often if they can't get that running game going. For sure. And discussing the running games, uh, yeah, how do you feel about the matchup with Higdon being Michigan's feature back against John Taylor? Obviously Taylor came in with all the uh, preseason hype accolades, but going against that Michigan defense, never an easy task. So you talk about the passing game a little bit. How about that, that running game uh, matchup between the two squads? Yeah, Higdon's been kind of the underrated part of this whole thing. I mean, we know Jim Harbaugh loves to establish the run. You know, he's the physical, hey, you know, mano a mano, we'll line up and see who's the better man. And uh, Karan Higdon, you know, four straight games with 100 yards. You know, he's the first running back in Michigan to do that since Mike Hart back in 07, which is kind of crazy to believe. Uh, But, you know, he's had a really, really good year so far. Um, at home, they've been able to roll. You know, we saw them against Nebraska. They rolled, they rolled last week against Maryland. They're a much better home team. They seem to run it much better at home. We'll see if they're able to do that against a Wisconsin defense that was able to limit Iowa from running it, limited Nebraska from running it last week. You know, I know a lot of people make out the, the BYU performance, but BYU did a lot of things schematically, you know, moving the Wisconsin linebackers around with shifts and things of that sort to get them out of gaps. I don't think Michigan is really the team that does that. They're more line it up and just run at you. And I don't know if they'll be able to do that. If they can, I think that will show a, show a great deal of progress for the Michigan offense. Yeah, such a huge game. I mean, one of these teams is going to be essentially eliminated from college football playoff contention after Saturday night. So big game. I don't know if you have any predictions you want to throw out there, if you want to play it safe at this point. Uh, you know, I haven't really uh, dove in yet. Um, I was kind of surprised to see Michigan uh, – favorite by as much as they were I thought it'd be a little bit closer I think Michigan's close to an eight point favorite in this one wow. um, so that was a little surprising but uh, I know Michigan's been a great home team Wisconsin's won 10 straight on the road so something's got to give yep should be a lot of fun all right let's look ahead to another pretty intriguing matchup in the Big Ten this weekend your Spartans are visiting number eight Penn State Michigan State's fallen out of the top 25 obviously after that loss against Northwestern Penn State's come off a bye I would think Penn State, you know, has an obvious advantage there. I'm sure it's reflected in uh, some of the projections for that one. How do you see this one shaking out? Yeah, so I'm just very curious to see how Michigan State will be able to move the ball. 
Um, that offensive line has just been such a big issue, and it continues to uh, get worse. Um, one of their starting guards, David Beadle, is out for a month with an arm injury. So that just kind of adds another uh, log to the fire on the injury front there. Um, you know, I think the offensive line issues not o- not only have affected the running game, but I think it's kind of sped up Brian Lewerke. Uh Last year, he threw for 400 yards in this Penn State game. You know, it was a crazy game. Came down to the last second field goal. Delayed about three and a half hours because of weather. Uh, both quarterbacks last year in this game were great. I just, but we haven't seen that Brian Lewerke this year, and I don't know if we'll see it in that environment behind that offensive line. Sure, and uh, L.J. Scott has been dressing, as you pointed out, for last three weeks, but still hasn't played. Any inside info on him? Uh, you know, I know you're plugged in, but any word on when he's getting back? Uh, all I keep hearing is that he's close. Uh, it's ultimately his decision as to whether uh, he can play or not. I guess he, you know, when he's warmed up, he hasn't felt like he's been good enough to go, um, and so they've kind of gone with the guys that they have you know, behind a, a pretty young and inexperienced offensive line, and you kind of see the results of that. I'm curious if any other games intrigue you this weekend. I think Ohio State should roll against the young Minnesota team. Uh, I think Maryland will have a field day with Rutgers, especially with that rushing defense Rutgers has. Uh, one that intrigues me, I don't, I don't know if you agree, is Iowa at Indiana. Um, I feel like Indiana has kind of been in this place for a few years now, especially under Tom Allen, where they look improved and they – put up some impressive offensive numbers their defense is definitely better but they still haven't won that game that kind of signifies that they're turning a major corner and I think this is a good opportunity if you can beat Iowa at home uh, a, a team that I mean Iowa I think is obviously the better team but a team that could be had especially on the road um, when they're going to Bloomington so I don't know if you share those thoughts or if you think Indiana has a good chance of beating Iowa, but I just wanted to get your overall impressions of that matchup coming up here. You know, I like that matchup a lot uh, for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. Um, again, it's a, it's another home game, an opportunity to announce yourself that things are different. It's a stepping stone type of game. I know Iowa isn't ranked. I think they were they had the most votes of any team that wasn't ranked this past week, so they're, they're essentially a top 25 team. Uh, again... You had a chance against Michigan State at home. Couldn't do it. This is another team that you can beat. You know, you've got good quarterback play. You lead the conference in takeaways. You know, this is a prime opportunity to get Iowa um, and improve to 5-2, and two, you know, get one step closer to getting back to a bowl game. And for Iowa, I mean, they still have a shot at the West. I mean, I know they lost to Wisconsin. They're a game behind, but they have the much easier schedule. Wisconsin still has to go to Penn State, Northwestern, Purdue. Like they have a tough, tough schedule. And Iowa, it, they cannot, they cannot afford to lose in Bloomington if they still want to win the West. Yeah, you don't want to take anything away from Iowa because really they're the drive or so away from being undefeated if they could have hung on against Wisconsin. And then we'd be talking about a repeat of 2015 essentially with a really clear path to Indy. And they still, like you said, might have that path available to them. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up, H? I know an interesting stat that I didn't realize it had been uh, this long just when you put it in the matter of days, but Illinois finally got their first Big Ten I'm win after the you know, 700 days, got off the I'm schneid, the beat Rutgers. Nice win. Yeah, nice win. And then they got Purdue coming into town for their homecoming game coming up. I think that's another opp- uh, example of an opportunity 
for the Illini to kind of show they're turning a corner if you can beat a Purdue team that is probably a little ahead of them at this point as far as the rebuild and, and overall talent goes. But, you know, you look at Illinois' two losses. They lost their top 25 USF team, which really they should have won that game. I still maintain that that was a huge opportunity to let it slip away the final minute there. And uh, obviously they lost to Penn State, hung with them for a while um, before a top 10 team realized they were a top 10 team and, and blew the Illini out. So that's one I wanted to point out before we wrapped up. I don't know if anything else uh, is there for you to get off your chest. But if not, we can uh, get into week seven here as we – kind of go on the, the back nine here of the college football season. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of points in that Purdue-Illinois game. I'm very fascinated to see how that works. Uh, I mean, the job that Rod Smith has done, the OC for Illinois, yeah. I mean, he's completely transformed that offense. And now with A.J. Bush coming back, you've got three big play threats in the run game. I know they lead the conference in 30-yard runs and 40-yard runs. I mean, he's just completely transformed that offense. And then you got the hottest quarterback outside of Dwayne Haskins in the league and David Blau, who's it's been, been throwing it all yeah. over the place. And so you got one team, you know, with the aerial attack. You got another team with the ground attack. Don't know if either defense can stop the, either defense can stop the offenses. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I know Jerry Denaro has been raving about Rod Smith, Illinois. And I know fans have been saying if you just take – freshman quarterback mj rivers reads an arm and bush's legs then you might have a uh have a really, <laughs> really good, good qb there Absolutely. but i love to i think maintain that ground attack which has been working out for them really well uh any stats coming up here that stand to be broken it seems like we have a milestone or something every week here in the big Ten. i don't know if you have anything jumping out at you but uh if not we can wrap it up and look ahead to to hoops because we got media day coming up thursday so let me hear if you got any stats if not we'll uh we'll get on out of here uh, it's pretty crazy that media day is already this week. I know. You know, I've been I've had to take a break, a, a little bit of a break from the, the football prep to kind of dive into basketball and, you know, kind of get used to who transferred in, who transferred out, the recruiting classes. The grad uh, transfers what always gets me because, like, it's hard time. to track. You always kind of forget, and it's not as easily laid out in recruiting rankings and stuff. So Exactly. So a lot of my time uh, the last three days or so has been <laughs> built into the hoops. So. Yeah, well, you know, People have been listening for a while now. They know we'll touch on hoops too. We'll have stat hit throughout hoop season as long as you're up for it. Oh, yeah. Always. I kinda, always. You are now. I just kind of uh, <laughs> obligated you to do it. So. Locked in. All right. We'll wrap up uh, football season here as we you know, come down the, the home stretch and uh, get into some basketball talk here soon as well. Thanks for joining me, H. Always fun. Yeah, appreciate it, man. All right. All right. Thanks once again to Bruce and Harold for joining me. Really great talking to those guys. And... We will continue to get guests like Bruce from a national perspective as we roll along here, and we'll continue to bring Harold on most weeks, hopefully each week, here on the Take 10 Podcast. Uh, as we touched on both those guys, big weekend coming up, at least uh, for a couple of teams, Wisconsin and Michigan, and let's move along here toward the college football playoff rankings, which come out at the end of the month. A lot of games that are uh, going on, including that Georgia LSU one that'll potentially shape that college football playoff picture and still have a number of Big Ten teams in the mix as we uh, gear up for another week, week seven here, Big Ten football. So it should be a lot of fun. Had a ton of fun chopping it up, chatting with uh, guests on here as always and we'll keep delivering you these episodes as we move along here and we'll do some more basketball-centric stuff as well. I want to give a shout out as always to my producer Julie Bronder assistant producer Colleen Degman both uh, been a huge help especially this fall as we've done one of these football focus episodes every week 
And a shout out to everyone who has listened along the way and has listened to this episode as well. If you're new, hopefully you come back and uh, continue to enjoy what we put out here on the Take 10 Podcast. So come at you next week with some basketball stuff and some more football content as well. Until then, we will talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.